Welcome into the Sun Devil Sourced Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by reporter Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm good, Ethan. How are you doing? I am doing great, Carson. I'm also joined by reporter Carson Brever. How are you doing today? I am excellent, Ethan. And also, as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Were you trying to say that Carson is, is just universal? It doesn't need a last name? You know, I mean, I wasn't going there, but if you're saying it yourself, then maybe there's some backing in terms of him being universal. I, I don't, I definitely don't feel that way. I was just asking if you felt that way. I happen I, to feel that way. Well, we know you feel that way. Carson feels that way. I, it was a voiceover typo, I would say. I, it, was, it was a mistake. I cleared it up, ended up saying his, his last name as well. Okay, I guess we're ready to go now. All right, all right, we're ready to go now. So in this episode or this podcast, we're talking about ASU. Uh, they won 35 to 13 over Colorado. ASU is now three and one on the season and one and oh in Pac 12 play. ASU, uh, Colorado made it close at one point, it was 14 10 at the beginning of the third quarter. Jacob, we'll go to you first. Any big takeaways from this game and ASU season to this point? Yeah, Ethan, I, I think for the game specifically, ASU did what it needed to do against Colorado after some sloppy performances that I think put some doubts potentially into the minds of its fans about whether or not uh, it was going to be able to perform at the level that people had expected of it, considering the amount of talent that it returned. But I think that in this game, uh, the Sun Devils were able to kind of put to, to ease some of those concerns with their performance. It was a solid game. They didn't do anything spectacular, but in general, I thought, through all four quarters, with the exception of one drive, uh, the first drive of the third quarter, ASU offensively and defensively looked quite solid. So good game overall, in my opinion. We'll get into it a little, in a little more detail, but that's my biggest overall takeaway from the game. Carson, what about you? What's your big takeaway? Yeah, I think that Jacob put that well and that it was probably a solid overall performance. And Herm Edwards came out after the game and said that it felt like ASU survived another one. And that's kind of been the story throughout the year. And maybe this wasn't the most dangerous down to the wire game for ASU, although it arguably was competitive a little bit deeper into this one than it should have been. Cause we knew that this was a troubled Colorado team that had had a couple of really ugly results that offensively was basically anemic and is a bottom five scoring offense in the entire nation. So the expectation was not a competitive game. And ASU didn't necessarily dominate in the normal facets, didn't have an overly productive day on the ground from the running backs. But overall, they were just clearly the better team, and they were able to sort of put their foot on the gas towards the end, as we saw in that UNLV game as well. But I would argue it remains to be seen if they can put together four quarters of football of the caliber that is probably expected of them given their talent level. And I don't know that we even totally saw that in this one. And Chris, what about you? Yeah, I, I didn't expect Colorado to be able to keep it too close uh, against ASU given their very limited passing capability on offense in the game being played in Tempe. Uh, once again, the slow starts by ASU are really sort of problematic when you consider the caliber of some of these opponents getting better as they go into conference play and particularly on the road like at UCLA. I feel like we're looking at an 85 octane or an 87 octane offense right now 
and they need to be at least operating at 89 octane, if not going into that 91 super premium type of stuff when they're playing against uh, the Bruins because that you get behind and then you're really uh, more limited in what you're able to do. Now, I think Zach Hill had a very good game plan. Uh, they were able to take advantage of how how just committed that Colorado was to loading up the box with eight and nine defenders to try to take away ASU's run game by getting the ball into the perimeter on play actions, on bubble screens, on some of these specialty plays. And uh, they didn't execute as well as I think they probably should have on some of their base stuff. And that proved limiting. I, something is not quite hitting with Rashad White in, in the run game the way that uh, he was last season. I think he's maybe maybe like in his own head a little bit or something, not hitting holes and, and seeing some opportunities. Uh, I, I, we still need to see ASU's defense be able to uh, statistically it looks good, but I, there's still something sort of missing generally with what they're doing uh, on the field in terms of being consistently reliable on the back end and shutting down teams in the run game throughout. There have been a quarter here and there in some of these games against Colorado, BYU, UNLV, where they've had some pretty significant breakdowns. You do that when you go on the road against UCLA and it's like a 21 point quarter or something like that. And so they, 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 they can't have that happen. But again, you look around the conference and you see nobody except for Oregon and even Oregon has kind of struggled with a non-Pac-12 team. Nobody has really looked great um, with any sort of consistency. And so ASU is still, in my opinion, solidly, in the top three, maybe four teams in the conference. All right. And those were the overall takeaways from this game, ASU versus Colorado. As we said, ASU winners 35 to 13. Now on to the offense, we go a little bit more specifically towards the receiving and the receivers have been a question throughout spring, throughout even the first couple of games. No one had surpassed 70 yards receiving in a game so far this year until this game against Colorado and three players did so. So Jacob, do you see any sort of improvement and where do you think the wide receivers are in terms of their chemistry with Jaden Daniels and just being able to produce? I definitely think that there was improvement in this game. Uh, we saw three different players record 70 yards uh, through the air in this game. Rashad White had 70. LB Bunkley Shelton had 76. Johnny Wilson had 70. Uh, Curtis Hodges also had 38. Nice 26-yard grab for him. Uh, it, it was better. I think that we've had conversations on this podcast and the people who listen to it will remember that we've remarked uh, in no uncertain terms that ASU's receiving room was, was, was one of its worst uh, on the team in terms of overall strength. And one of the big problems was that there was no real leader in that room. That was a topic that we discussed last week. Um, not that we particularly saw a leader in this game, but it is starting to become clear who Jaden Daniels' favorite targets are. Uh, Johnny Wilson was targeted seven times throughout this game. LV Bunkley Shelton was targeted five times and made four catches. So there are players who are beginning to emerge. Additionally, Herm Edwards had said that Ricky Pearsall is the most consistent player in this room. And while he did not even surpass zero yards receiving, he had negative two throughout the game. He was still a factor with a trick play passing touchdown. So 
it was a good day for the receivers. I, again, I don't think as will be the theme for a lot of things that we discuss on this podcast, that it was anything exceptional or, you know, really strong for that matter, but it was a good day and it was better than what we've seen in the previous three games, in my opinion. And what I would also add is worth noting is that the strength of this Colorado defense is probably its secondary and its pass defense. At least that's what they showed over the first three games. And that was sort of the flagship unit that was highlighted by ASU players and Herm Edwards shouted out the secondary and their length there and their ability to play really high level man-to-man coverage. And through their first three games, they had allowed opponents to throw for just 197 yards a game and it held them below 55% completion. So I do think it's significant that ASU's receivers were able to create some separation and make some plays there. So obviously this is not going to completely alter perception of them. They are not suddenly the bright spot of this team and they remain a question as the caliber of competition gets increasingly higher. But this was a performance against a legitimate secondary and really a legitimate all-around defense in which the passing game outperformed the traditional run game, which we haven't seen thus far. And there was a depth of targets and a depth of receiving options that I think was overall impressive and bodes well for ASU long-term in the passing game. Yeah, I just want to point out one thing that a lot of people probably aren't aware of, and that is Jaden Daniels is first in the Pac-12 right now with a completion percentage of 72.6%, which is quite high. That's very high. And you have to factor in, of course, that ASU's had one of the easier schedule strengths um, against, you know, relative to the rest of the conference right now. But playing on the road at BYU and then playing against Colorado, which its secondary was, I think, 17th in the country in opposing completion percentage going into the game. The, the strength of that uh, defense, for sure, and maybe the entire team. It, we've seen a number of drops through four games from ASU's receivers. That wasn't really as much of an issue against Colorado. Uh, there was the nice LV Bunkley Shelton adjustment to that ball behind him on the slant that he spun and continued to run. Um, uh, so, I feel like maybe the receivers are kind of growing up right now. It's not a, uh, you know, a straight line of growth. There's going to be some sort of up and down as a part of that process. There is clearly no uh, superstar receiver on this team. ASU fans have grown accustomed to having those types of guys over the years, the Jalen Strong, uh, Jarrell Robinson for the one year, Nikhil Harry, Brandon Ayuk, et cetera. There's nobody like that right now. But between several of these guys that we keep talking about a lot and um, what we're seeing, I I think that we're moving in the direction of uh, uh, having a a more potent capability in the passing game, especially when you factor in what Curtis Hodges has been able to do, something that Jacob pointed out in one of our podcasts last week. Hodges is now, I think, the number one tight end overall in uh, the grade as graded by PFF in the conference. So there's a lot of questions that remain to be answered about ASU's passing attack, but it's not nearly as dire as we're seeing around the conference that where this may be the, the, the worst or at least as bad as it's been in recent history in terms of overall play at that position. Like there's no doubt in my mind that Jaden Daniels is a lot better quarterback than average 
relative to his peers in the conference. You even look at someone like Dorian Thompson Robinson, for example, he's completing 57.3% of his passes. Right. So ASU fans have to sort of keep that in mind. They want Daniels to be performing like a superstar and he probably isn't, but, um, uh, you know, comparing him against a lot of his peers, including guys who have been around for a long time, right? The Thompson Robinson, Slovis, Garber, um, you know, et cetera. I think that the passing attack has been pretty respectable. And in the passing attack seems to be growing, as Chris said. And the most important thing that the coaches talked about early on in the season was balance for the offense. The running game, some of you guys touched on it, wasn't quite as good as it has been in games prior. Jaden Daniels led the team in rushing yards for the second time this season, also led in rushing touchdowns with two himself. He had 75 yards on seven carries. The running backs for ASU combined for just 70 yards on 18 carries. Jacob, is there anything that is worrisome in terms of how the running backs performed in this one? I would say that worrisome is probably too strong a word. It, it is one game and, and, you know, ASU's running backs at the end of the day are human, uh, you know, relative to what they've been able to do between last year's very short season. And then early on in this season, uh, it was a, it was a bad game. You, you know, you mentioned low output for Nagata and Rashad white uh, Rashad white scored a touchdown. Daniel Nagata did average 4.7 uh, yards per carry, but he only had seven carries. So it wasn't really that much of an impact. And kind of overall, the running game was not very impressive. Jaden Daniels was great on, on the ground. You know, he averaged over 10 yards per carry and had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, I would also point out that Elijah Badger had one carry for 17 yards and a touchdown on an end around. It was his first college touch and he scored. So there were some bright spots uh, in the ground game. I would also add that, uh, Chris, Chris, you pointed this out on, on your Twitter, but there were some very impressive blocking uh, reps from some of ASU's players. Uh, Kellen Deesh had a, had a great rep on the Elijah Badger touchdown. Johnny Wilson, uh, who according to PFF is the highest graded wide receiver in terms of blocking in among FBS players, uh, among FBS wide receivers, excuse me, and fourth among FBS players, regardless of position. So, you know, they, they, ASU's blocking was good. The production from its running backs really was not all that great. But I think just overall, it was a fine game on the ground. If you look at it overall, ASU averaged 5.2 yards per carry uh, among all of its rushers. There were six people who had an attempt throughout the game. So, you know, fine. Uh, worrisome, definitely no, uh, but definitely there's room for improvement. I agree with Jacob in the sense that worrisome is just definitely too strong of a word because, as he said, this is a human unit and we have seen in a couple games now where Jaden Daniels is the most dynamic member of ASU's run game, and that probably wasn't the expectation, but if they find a way to produce on the ground, they find the way to produce on the ground. And he goes for 75 yards and a couple touchdowns and is only eight yards off from being their leading rusher on the year as a whole. But as things sit now, they are still second in the conference with 210 rushing yards a game. They're second in the conference with five and a half yards per carry, and they lead the conference with 15 rushing touchdowns. So this remains fundamental to their identity. It remains their strength. And one game like this against, again, what is a pretty solid overall defense, even though I do think that Chris is right in identifying maybe some of the issues with Rashad White, 
Daniel Nagata continues to establish himself as a strong performer. And if Diamante Trainum comes back into the mix here, then ASU has a trio of running backs that I don't think anybody in the conference can compete with. And as Jacob highlighted, not just a really strong experienced offensive line, but really strong perimeter blocking as well. So this is probably a down game overall, but for a lot of teams in the conference, this is not even a down game to begin with on the ground. And let me just reiterate, you, you can't look at running back production in a vacuum, right? Uh, if, a, if opposing teams are going to play five-man fronts, eight-man boxes, you're not going to run the ball as effectively. And not only that, but coordinators, they, they see that as an opportunity to do a lot of other things successfully other than try to run the ball. Uh, in the box successfully, right? So you can't be like, oh, well, Rashad White or ASU's running backs overall only uh, did X number of production in this game. What's the problem with ASU's running backs? Well, it, it was because of Colorado's concern for ASU's running backs that they allowed all of these other yards to be gained in the screen game and on some of these trick plays and, uh, and in the passing game where there was opportunities to be had. So um, that is a success. Any way that you chalk it up, even if it, an, an opponent uh, puts itself into a conundrum that you resolve in another way to the tune of scoring more than 30 points, uh, it's totally fine. Now, I, I, yes, I still say that Rashad White hasn't quite looked himself, but Daniel and God is averaging six point something yards per game so far this season. Um, and, and that's like a 6.8 now that I'm looking at it. Well, that's one of the better production uh, numbers of anyone in, in the conference. And then you look at ASU, I think they've had nine games in a row now of 150 plus yards on the ground. I mean, that's outstanding. It's been a very long time since they've, they've been able to match that overall run game capability. So Let's not take for granted the fact that uh, they still present some of the biggest challenges in terms of their run game, and, and particularly when you add in how good that they are blocking on the perimeter um, and even on some of the counter-style gap scheme runs that they showed against BYU. Uh, they have a very uh, a broad spectrum of what they're able to build into their game packages in the run game. And so that still had a major impact on ASU success against Colorado, even if it didn't necessarily show up directly in terms of Rashad White having some big performance on the ground, as even I had anticipated that he might. So we'll have to see how the running game continues to progress throughout the season. As Chris said, there were a lot of defensive styles from Colorado that may have cause it to not be as great in this game. But in terms of the offensive line, pass protection and run blocking as well, Jacob, how do you feel the offensive line performed in this game against Colorado? Uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of alluded to it in, well, when I was saying about ASU's run performance. And I, I, again, I think that ASU's blocking and particular with the offensive line, the tight ends was quite good. Uh, and it has been so far this year. I think that Kellen Deesh has looked extremely impressive. Ben Scott is not very far behind him at all. Uh, Ladarius Henderson looked really good against Colorado and has had some very strong moments throughout the year. PFF has graded him quite highly uh, after several games now. Donovan West, we knew he was going to be one of ASU's best players regardless of position. 
He had a good game. Henry Hattis looked good. It, it, I think this is a unit that is experienced. It's disciplined. It's solid. Uh, it has had its, its issues in terms of, you know, some penalties, but I think that in terms of its physicality and its ability to uh, protect Jaden Daniels and to create running lanes, it has done a very good job. And I would add that, you know, like Chris mentioned, Colorado dedicated its defense to stopping ASU's run game. So I don't know that you really fault ASU's offensive line for the lack of running back production when the team overall averaged over five yards per carry. Uh, I also, Jaden Daniels was, you know, had a fairly clean pocket throughout the entire game. He did have to run, but it was largely clean. And we've seen that now consistently. So ASU's offensive line was good. Uh, it's blocking, you know, on the perimeter and with its tight ends was, was very good. Uh, so I think overall solid performance for that group for sure. I think Jacob touched on a lot of it there. And I don't know that there are all that many question marks about this group. Like I think that what we saw last week at BYU was an anomaly in how bad of a performance it was by them. But as Jacob said, that's not about their capabilities. Once the play gets started, that was about issues with signaling and being able to understand when the ball was being snapped and all that stuff, which resulted in what I believe was six false starts when all was said and done. But that's not the kind of thing you anticipate to be a long-term issue and definitely not at home in a comfortable environment like this. So in that sense, they responded well. And I think that they've been consistent throughout this year and really haven't had, again, a glaringly bad performance once the play has actually really gotten going, as you would expect from a really experienced line with a lot of continuity. There were some issues in that game, especially in the first half with some of the pass protection, Ben Scott, I think dealt with a little bit more of a challenge than he has previously in Terrence Lang, who's an athletic guy at six foot seven and 285 pounds. The combination of power and explosiveness that Lang has playing on the edge uh, it, that can be problematic for some, some teams. And, and, and he allowed Lang to get into the target zone a, a few times there. Um, it was an okay performance probably by Henry Haddis, uh, especially early on. I, I felt like the Kellen Deesh has been just absolutely outstanding. There were some question marks uh, based upon how we, how we did in camp that I had, about whether you know something might have been bothering him or whatever because he was getting beaten in one-on-ones more than I would have anticipated. But he has been really tremendous. I think this is someone who now very uh, strongly has a chance to get drafted next year, actually. And uh, we, we saw that Donovan West tweeted um, that uh, he was playing on a torn meniscus, actually, before uh, – after the BYU game. So I'm, I didn't see anything that really struck me as being a downgrade in terms of his performance. And Ladarius Henderson to me has, has improved kind of as the season has gone on. So uh, the, the, the task ahead against UCLA is going to be bigger than anything that they have faced. And I'm very interested to seeing how they hold up in that regard. That was the offense. We'll now move over to the defense. The biggest or one of the big stories coming to the game, Chase Lucas was out. The secondary faced off against a passing attack from Colorado that we talked about has not been 
the greatest. They didn't really test the secondary very much. Brennan Lewis was seven for 17 for 67 yards. Is there anything we can take away from the secondary's performance, even though they probably weren't tested as much as other teams will test them? Jacob. Yeah, I think there are some, some very significant takeaways from this game. Uh, the most important of which is that ASU got to Marcus Davis back after he was unable to play for the first three games due to a leg injury. Uh, he looked solid, but more so, even without Chase Lucas, ASU was able to limit Colorado, which I understand has a very poor passing attack, to 67 yards. Uh, like, you know, Antonio Pierce said after the game that even though Colorado might not be the most potent team, uh, they didn't throw a whole bunch, and that's about his players. And I think that ASU was able to demonstrate its depth against Colorado. Uh, Jordan Clark had a better game than he did against BYU by quite a bit. He got picked apart against BYU and then came back nicely against Colorado. Mason Williams got a couple good reps in there. Uh, And so ASU kind of proved that it has the depth to be very productive in the secondary, which is what everybody was anticipating coming into this season. And I would add that now that ASU is moving towards a much tougher matchup against number 20 UCLA, it appears they might be back at full strength. Herm Edwards said that Chase Lucas is going to play against UCLA. We watched him practice today, Tuesday, and ASU has Tamarcus Davis back. We've seen the younger players in the group. Uh, its safeties were, were solid against Colorado. So if anything, the biggest takeaway from this game is that this unit is getting closer to full strength. And when it is at that level, it has the potential to be very, very good, which is something that we kind of forecasted uh, a couple of weeks ago before the season began on our podcast. Yeah, I think that you could add to that mix of young guys who sort of showed the depth of this unit. Tommy Hill, who got a good amount of time out there in this game. And secondary coach Donnie Henderson was talking to us about him today and said that he got sort of increasingly comfortable as that game went along and that that's a good test of what he's able to do and provide to this group long term. But I think that Jacob touched on the key, which is getting back to Marcus Davis and getting to full strength because as has been the issue for so much of ASU's team this year, the question has not been about talent or experience. It has been about consistency. And the secondary has not been the most glaring example of that. But for a unit that was expected to be the strength of this team, probably more outstanding than any other group, there were times where maybe they didn't totally live up to par. You think back to the brutal second quarter against BYU. There were a couple drives even where UNLV moved the ball on them, really opening in that game as well. So to have a performance like this, even though it's against a team that is right up there for the worst passing offense in all of Power 5 SBS football, and it's not even going to try to throw the ball, I think it was... Overall, a positive because, again, you got to see that depth. And as Jacob put it, you're getting closer to full strength, which you are going to need to be at as this competition gets more and more difficult. Part of it is you, you have to adjust for, as I said earlier, the, the strength of schedule. But ASU is far and away leading the conference in passing defense yard, yards per game. 124.3 yards per game allowed the next closest is utah 163 okay and asu also has five interceptions uh which is pretty good and they're they're generating a lot of pressure which has contributed to how good that they've been with their passing defense they're tied for first in the conference with 12 sacks so uh, and this has been without Tamarcus Davis in, in in their first three games and without chase lucas for the last one and a half games 
basically. Uh, definitely, there's still some issues there. Donnie Henderson talked about Jack Jones's tendency to guess a little bit, play a little bit too instinctually. We know that Mason Williams and Jordan Clark have kind of had their ups and downs because they've had to come onto the field and, and, and play for others. That's going to help them and ASU longer term, but they have given up some plays, uh, a, higher, a higher number as a percentage of their overall reps compared to the other guys. Uh, but I think ASU is in pretty good shape with its secondary going into this UCLA game based upon what we've seen from them so far. And there's no way that you would have thought that they would that Colorado would would really provide a significant challenge, even though Jack Jones did get flagged for one pass interference on a vertical shot. And there was a couple other little shaky kind of moments. Um, you know, I, 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 I just think that uh, we're going to see in the next few weeks, really, if they are as good as they uh, have indicated that they believe that they can be and that we have thought that they can be based upon everything that we've seen uh, to this point in time and uh, how experienced that they are as a group. Yeah, and you talked about putting pressure on the quarterback. We'll go to the defensive line next. There's been some injuries on the defensive line. Jermaine Lolay out as well as Trevez Moore. So some young players have had to step in and do a job. Joe Moore did very well against Colorado. There were three sacks in the day from the defensive line. How did the defensive line do in terms of pressuring the quarterback, Jacob? Uh, I, I will first say broadly that it was a good game for ASU's defensive line. We talked about it prior to uh, the Colorado game, and one of our big takeaways and keys to success for ASU was going to be successfully cage rushing on Brendan Lewis and limiting him to stay in the pocket and forcing him to throw. ASU's defensive line did that. Uh, aside from a 33-yard run from Lewis, ASU limited him to nine attempts and three yards. Or sorry, excuse me, for and six yards. So it was uh, a good a good game in terms of accomplishing that. However, the thing that I want to highlight, and I'll let Carson and Chris go into more detail on this and other things, is ASU's third down defensive line unit. Uh, it was comprised of some of its youngest players. They started the game with Anthony Cooper, B.J. Green, uh, Joe Moore. And I'm blanking on one other person. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. It Garen was Stansbury. Garen Stansbury. Right. So those four guys were very good. Their first play of the game, they came in on third and eight. Colorado was backed up on its own 22. Uh, BJ Green and Joe Moore combined for half. They were credited for half a sack each. Uh, BJ Green was eventually ejected for targeting. Uh, and it was a call that I think was a little bit questionable. Chris, you and I were talking about it in the press box that it could have really gone either way. But when all was said and done, he was disqualified from the game. And ASU replaced him with Omar Norman Lott. Uh, that group was great. They limited Colorado to 33% on third down. Again, like we just talked about, Lewis only uh, passed for 67 yards. And when the game was over, uh, Cooper, Green, Norman Lott, Stansbury, and Joe Moore combined for nine tackles, two and a half sacks, and a quarterback hit. So I, I was really impressed with that unit in particular, though I will again reiterate that it was a good game for ASU's defensive line. But that unit is definitely something that ASU's coaching staff and definitely its fans have to look forward to, I think, in games moving forward. And I think that's reflective of what we've seen from this group throughout the year, which is that I don't think there's a unit on ASU's team where the depth has consistently shined as much as it has on this defensive line because 
no group has lost more when you're looking at a team that to begin the year was returning 20 of 22 starters from last year to lose Jermaine Lole and then to lose Trevez Moore, who had been so productive and impressive through the first few weeks. This unit was going to be tested and a lot of young guys were going to be tested. And I think that as Jacob put it, they have responded resoundingly well. And you could kind of have seen it coming even before this game because of the production that we saw from guys when they did get their chances out there because of BJ Green and how productive he had been already notching a couple sacks headed into this one and how much he excelled throughout camp. And because Garen Stansbury, also a guy who came in and immediately produced in the limited action he saw in that game against UNLV where he got a sack. Joe Moore, I think, is a guy who we really hadn't seen much at all and was absolutely an impressive performer. And Omar Norman Lott was kind of the guy who before the year was looked at it maybe being the young player who you would expect to take that leap. And we haven't even seen necessarily as many reps out of him as we have some of these other young defensive linemen. So the pass rush for ASU was strong last year, and that was the strength of the defensive line. But when you have a couple of established pass rushers like Tyler Johnson, who when he's out there and healthy is in the conversation for one of the best in the conference and opposite him, Michael Matus, who has been highly consistent. And then you also have this depth of options where now we saw Anthony Cooper, not only produce in this game, but also we saw him take some first team reps in ASU's install period today. There's just a lot of guys who can step in and make a play. And that bodes very well for this team overall long-term. And that was absolutely a takeaway from this one. This has been for my money, the biggest surprise of ASU's team so far this season. If you had told me, like even a month ago, that Joe Moore, Anthony Cooper, Garen Stansbury, and B.J. Green would be out there anywhere near as much, much less making the, the number of plays that they have made, I would have thought that you were smoking something. Like, I, I would have thought you were crazy. And there's, there's not very much that I'm really ever going to be surprised about with ASU football in this kind of way based upon just our ability to go watch practice every single day and having covered the team for a really long time. And this is a testament to the coaching of Robert Rodriguez, who for my you know, personal vantage is the best position coach on ASU's football team. I think this guy is an outstanding defensive line coach. And we have seen our share of defensive line coaches at ASU. Like I'm talking about a different one every single year for like five or six years in a row. And some of them have, they couldn't even like hold a candle to Robert Rodriguez in terms of what he's done. And I'm not just talking about like the individual skill development of these guys, but also the package that they put together for some of these teams. They were overloading fronts with three guys on one side of the center, and they were running stunts against Colorado that consistently put two Colorado offensive linemen on one ASU defensive lineman, and other guys were coming free and clear running into the pocket to try to take out Brandon Lewis. And that guy, I guarantee you, was hurting quite a bit after that game and for a day or two after that, if not, you know, still right now. So Joe Moore, I thought he, I think he looks outstanding. 
uh, much further along than I had anticipated for somebody who hasn't really played that much. He's thick cut. He has a great body type. Uh, he, some of these wins that he got were really um, on his own, like secondary pass rush type stuff. And the tenacity that these guys have shown in their ability to play through the whistle. And even Omar Norman Lott was out there making some plays, right? I mean, you guys saw it. And that isn't take anything away from ASU starters because DJ Davidson is still one of the best nose tackles in the conference. And as Carson said there, Tyler Johnson is one of the best edge pass rushers. Michael Matus is a really solid player. So uh, these guys are going to have just uh, their hands full when they go up against this potent UCLA run game and Dorian Thompson Robinson, everything that he provides. But I have probably more confidence in this overall group as a unit, even with Lole and Trevesmore being out, than I do almost anywhere else on the entire ASU team. And that is, as we talked about with injuries, maybe not as veteran of a group as the linebackers who really set the tone in this game against Colorado. Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, and Kyle Soley with nine, seven, and six total tackles, respectively. Jacob, what did we see out of the linebacker group in this game? I would say, you know, relative to opponent strength, this was probably ASU's linebackers' best game of the season through four games. Uh, they looked solid. There were still some mistakes, though. I think that uh, Merlin Robertson uh, got out of his lane once or twice, and it led to some, some Colorado movement down the field. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it was a bad overall performance. I think that this was a, a game where we saw, uh, you know, improvement compared to where this group was at in game one, two, and three, particularly against BYU. Uh, and that's a positive for ASU as it heads into a part of its schedule that is significantly tougher than anything it's faced so far this season. So I think that that was a, a good game for the group. Uh, they limited uh, they limited Colorado to just, you know, they, they didn't even pass 30 yards, I believe, in the second half outside of that first drive where they scored a touchdown. So that was a positive. Uh, they locked it in through the end of the game, which we didn't see them do at BYU. So, uh, you know, through four quarters, it was an improved game. There's still stuff to work on, though. So I would say that this is a good game. There's room for it to be better and eventually great, which I think this group is capable of, as we've been saying since well before the season started. I agree. I do think it's worth noting, though, just how productive this linebacking group really was in this game because the three leading tacklers for ASU were Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, and Kyle Soley who combined for 22 tackles. They had a lot of big plays, got into the backfield a lot. Kyle Soley had two and a half tackles for loss. Robertson and Butler both had a half tackle for loss. Butler had a pass breakup. Soley had a half sack, even as far as the depth in that group. Eric Gentry had four tackles and a tackle for loss. So I think that it was definitely a strong game in that respect, but I do think you're correct in identifying some of maybe the lack of discipline and refinement there that a superior team to Colorado could have a bit more success exploiting. And this is a very talented, very experienced ASU linebacking trio. But again, it remains a matter of consistency. And that was the buzzword for this group from the coaching staff in the preseason, particularly about a guy like Merlin Robertson. It was about consistency. It was about doing it for four quarters. And it remains about that and being disciplined and smart and Again, we've said this about a lot of different position groups, a lot of different phases, but this just was not the ultimate test of that, and they are about to have that taken up 
to a completely different level this week against UCLA and really with several other conference games going forward? So for people like me who record these games, TV broadcasts, even though I'm there, I would just advise everyone to rewatch the game while focusing entirely on the linebackers of both teams. And in particular, watch Nate Landman of Colorado and then watch Merlin Robertson, uh, and Darian Butler, Kyle Soley of ASU. And I think what you'll see is very consistently Landman understands how to avoid blocks when it is in his best interest to do so in, in order to sift to be able to make the play. And he's extremely rarely out of position, okay? And then when you look at Merlin Robertson, for example, yes, he had more tackles in this game. He was around the football more. It probably was his best game. But the longest run of the night by Lewis, the Colorado quarterback, uh, that happened on a six-man pressure where Robertson kind of inexplicably made a guess to go run over to the C-gap when he was the only interior linebacker left due to the, the blitz call. And it, him voiding out that area contributed to Lewis's longest run of the night. And then there were a couple other plays where Robertson appeared to guess and was wrong. And something that has been extremely consistently said by ASU's coaches Herm Edwards said it after this game in the Monday press conference. ASU linebackers coach Chris Claiborne has talked about it on multiple occasions. Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator and former linebackers coach, has harped on it very consistently. Is just doing your individual assignment as a as any player on ASU's defense. Not trying to make the play, allowing the play to come to you as a function of the scheme that you're running and what an opponent is probably going to end up doing. And I'm not sure if it's the instincts not being fully there or just being so hungry to make a play that a guy like Robertson's leaving his area. But it's happening too much for ASU's linebackers overall still. And... And then other times they're they're like magnets to the blocks when the running back or whoever is with the ball is literally moving right next to them. Some of these guys they 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 have to be better at identifying playing with patience as a linebacker is really important. I watch linebacker feet not getting overly committed, not being uh, you know too kind of moving around a little bit too much early on in reps uh, and, and then being decisive once you understand that the play has declared itself to you. So uh, rewatch it, especially consider that UCLA with Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson Robinson does as good a job as any team in the conference at getting linebackers flowing in the wrong direction due to some play actions and the way that they uh, uh, do a great job of their scheme and their play calling. Because that is going to be one of the most focal points of who's able to emerge victorious in that UCLA game. Yes, ASU's linebackers had a lot of production. I think Darian Butler was probably the best. And he, I think he has been the best throughout the season, first, you know, third uh, to this point among the linebackers. He's also playing through apparently a right arm uh, type of an injury that knocked him out briefly, but he came back into the game. He's a tough dude. Um, but 
I, I think this group has the ability to take it to another level and they really need to. And the last part we'll talk about is special teams, a special teams group in this one played much up to par from what we've seen from them so far this season. Chris, are there any big takeaways from how they performed? Well, the biggest thing is they, they are committing too many penalties um, on their uh, return units in particular. They had two on um, uh, returns by DJ Taylor. It was Ed Woods on one. Case Hatch had a block in the back. That really can't happen because one of these days it's going to cost them on a, a, a very long return, maybe even a touchdown return because Taylor's so dynamic. He has ability to break any of those. Um, kicking game. It wasn't much of a factor against Colorado. Eddie Chaplitsky still made clear that he has the ability to pin opponents inside the 20. And, um, you know, the rest of it, I think we're just going to have to kind of see. Uh, Taylor did look to be pretty healthy after after missing the previous game uh, with an ankle injury. That that also definitely bodes well for ASU going into UCLA. So ASU comes away with a 35-13 win against Colorado. They are now undefeated in Pac-12 play. They're only lost in the season against BYU. If you want more analysis and recap of that game, it's on the site and board. Chris also just posted an upon further review, which is play-by-play analysis of that game. And now make sure to stay tuned to all of our content as we now lead up to Arizona State's game against number 20, UCLA at the Rose Bowl, so it should be a good one with big implications on the Pac-12 South. But for now, that's it for this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Carson Brebber, Jacob Rudner, and Chris Cartman, I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.